Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. This is God's holy and infallible word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the one thing that unites all creation together, uh, whether you're living or not, whether you're animate or inanimate, the one thing that unites all of creation together is its purpose, uh, which is to give glory to God. This is one of the reasons why the Westminster Larger Catechism and the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins the way that it does. Both of them begin with some rendition of the question, what is the chief end of man? And as you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Psalm 148 expands that out to all creation itself. And even the lower elements of creation, as we read, fire and, and hail, uh, snow and mist and stormy wind fulfilling his word. As you know, the Psalms are filled with praises. They're filled with the Spirit-inspired praises that we render to the Lord. Uh, and the Psalms give us the template by which our praises are to fill our mouths and by which the churches in which we attend are to resound throughout its walls. And this particular uh, psalm is found within a group of about five psalms uh, that bring an end to the book of Psalms. Really, you can say that uh, these last five psalms bring it to its crescendo. Uh, these last five psalms are referred to as the Hallel Psalms, uh, mainly because they start and end with the Hebrew word Hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And this particular Hallel Psalm... It starts, is, more, is most explicit in terms of its reference to creation. It tells us that all creation exists to the praise of God. God is to receive praise, in other words, from every nook and cranny of his creation, starting from the highest order that we've seen, uh, praise him in the heights, praise him from the heavens, all the way down, and it kind of works its, its way uh, down from the highest of uh, the heights, all the way down to the lowest order of creation, even the praise that is coming from the most insignificant critter in the world. His praise is to encompass all things that are seen as well as the things that are not seen. It was uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who in the 1200s uh, took up and read passages, uh, doubtless like uh, this one, and particularly Mark 16, verse 15, which says, 
go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Uh, He took this rather literally, if you know his uh, story. Uh, He took this rather literally and would preach the gospel to birds and animals, whatever animal would uh, be there to listen to him. And there's even a story that uh, I read about him uh, where he was even able to tame a wolf by preaching the gospel to it. Well, it's his love of creation and, and really animals and that reason that Franciscan nursing homes will commonly have some sort of bird uh, aviation sanctuary or something like that in them. Now, we can critique, of course, uh, St. Francis of Assisi's uh, you know, preaching to animals, and there's other things as well. Protestants have, by and large, uh, thought, um, well, he didn't, they didn't really think he, is of, he was of a sound mind. Uh, but suffice it to say... Uh, he was at least convinced that creation has a purpose. We can at least say that he believes that creation has a purpose that is to be to the praise of its creator. He at least knew the rough sketches of what Psalm 148 says, that the praises of God are to inhabit all of creation. So we're going to be looking at this uh, psalm, at this passage, Psalm 148 this evening, with this phrase in mind, this key theme in mind that's written in your bulletins, all creation, whether animate or inanimate, is designed to give praise to God because of who he is and what he's done. We're going to consider these three points, Uh, the praise from the heavens, the praise from the earth, and the reason the Lord receives praise. And starting with the first point, the praise from the heavens, you can really see the flow uh, of of this uh, logic here, of this outline, when you compare it to the passage itself. The praise from the heavens... Uh, takes us from verses 1 through verses 6. And it starts by saying, praise the Lord. In other words, just in case you don't know what to do uh, while you're reading it, these words prompt you uh, to bring you through the entire psalm. It says, praise the Lord. uh, This is a command that you get right out the gate. Very often, uh, my kids uh, will try and stall bedtime. Um, by asking me some sort of questions uh, at uh, key moments. You know, one of the key moments that they have is when they're brushing their teeth. Okay? And, and uh, the thought is that if we can ask Dad the uh, question, if that question is asked, then they'll stand there and they won't brush their teeth, uh, and they'll wait for me to get done with the answer of that, uh, that question. And then, well, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to have another question and so on and so forth, and that way they can squeeze out another half minute of time before they have to go to bed. So what I do is I kind of play 4D chess with them, and I say, I'll answer that question while you're brushing your teeth, okay? So that's how I get, to, uh, get around that, uh, that kind of stuff. It's sort of what's going on in this psalm here. It basically says, don't hold off your praises until you're done reading the psalm, right? Uh, praise the Lord. It tells you this command right out, right out the gate. Praise the Lord while you're reading this psalm. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. <clears throat> praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Uh, Praising God is what the heavens do all the time. That's what they do. Uh, We can read this if if you're familiar with the book of Revelation. We just uh, read the uh, part of the book of Revelation uh, this uh, this afternoon uh, for lunch. Revelation 4 verse 8 gives us a little glimpse of this as we turn over to the New Testament. Uh, Listen to this. 
The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. Day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. This praise comes from the heavens into the heavens and it never ceases, ever. Which means that God has specifically created and designed these heavenly beings, the heavenly order itself, specifically for the purpose of his praise and his glory. And he's done this really because he's worthy of it. He's done this because he's worthy of it. You're familiar also with the uh, parallel passage in Isaiah chapter 6, correct? Because uh, that's, uh, that, that's the cross-reference to that passage in the book of Revelation where there's specific angels that are there called seraphim, literally means the burning ones, who are there specifically to praise God in his immediate presence. And they say the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The entire earth is filled with his glory. The heavens are filled with an angelic choir, uh, even now, singing to the praises of of God. This is also what is meant by the, uh, the, the phrase that you see there in your Bibles, praise him all his host. Now, what does that mean? Praise him all his host. You might think, uh, it, what, what, is, what is God's host? Is that some, someone kind of uh, going around perhaps with a towel around his, uh, his arm or something like that, showing him around or something like that? What is, what is it meant by, uh, by, by his host? Well, his host it's kind of a translation uh, issue that, uh, that we have here. Uh, oddly enough, I kind of agree with, uh, I never really thought I'd say this in an OPC, but I kind of agree with the message here in the New Living Translation. It means the heavenly armies. The heavenly armies. Uh, that is, God has created a heavenly army, uh, which, by the way, he is in no need of, right? Uh, he's created a heavenly army, that he is in no need of, but there's times in which the heavenly armies are brought into the story. One time, uh, one specific time that I'm thinking of is in the Old Testament, that is uh, is passage in 2 Kings chapter 19. There the people of God are uh, being uh, besieged by a, a greater opposing force, a greater opposing the Assyrians, who at the time were the dominant superpower in the world. And how does God get his people out of, uh, of their besiegement? Well, he sends one angel, one lone angel, one angel. And this one angel, this one member of the heavenly hosts was dispatched to strike down 185,000 people. One angel versus 185,000, not just regular average Joes, but Assyrians, Assyrian soldiers. Uh, The most ruthless uh, people in the world at the time. The Lord Jesus says, Matthew 26, he uh, asked this question, Don't you think that I can appeal to my father and heal at once? Send me more than 12 legions of angels. Now, if if one angel can uh, lay waste to 185,000 people, if that's what one angel can do, and you can shudder to think of what 12 legions of angels can do, they could probably lay waste to the entirety of the earth's population multiple times over. But these are the ones who are called upon to be in perpetual praise to the Lord. And this is what they do. This is what they do. In fact, at the birth of Christ, what do we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 13? Uh, we even have a beautiful song that's, uh, that, that has a part to, uh, to it. That We see the heavenly host continually praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
It goes on to say, Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, you waters above the heavens. In the ancient Near East, these were the very things that were worshipped. These were the very things that were worshipped. The worship of the sun was ubiquitous. It was almost everywhere in the ancient Near East, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why the temple in Jerusalem faces the way that it does. It faces west, away from the rising sun. Uh, Likewise, the moon. Uh, Moon worship was prevalent all over the entire ancient Near East. As a matter of fact, uh, I preached a sermon series through the life of Abraham. Uh, It's very well the case that Abraham uh, most likely was a moon worshiper before coming into covenant with God. The starry host. The starry host were worshipped by the Egyptians, they were worshipped by the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Persians, and even nowadays, even nowadays, to this very day, you'll still find who are called Zoroastrians, who worship the stars, or at least attribute to them uh, the moral uh, platitudes of what is right and what is wrong. They will give to the stars the ability to discern what is right and what is wrong. But the message of Psalm 148 is rather clear, isn't it? Uh, Creation is not there so that you should worship it. Creation is not meant to be worshipped. Creation is there to be in perpetual praise of its creator. Uh, Psalm 19, verse, uh, verse 1, the heavens, what do they do? They don't demand that you praise to them. They don't demand uh, glory to them. What do the heavens do? The heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day they pour forth speech. The heavens praise him. The angelic host praise him. The sun, the moon, the stars, the highest heavens, even the clouds exist for the praise of our triune God. And now let's move on to our second point. The praise from the earth. From verses 7 through 10, we see the next thing in the series of things that render praise to God. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures, all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things, flying birds. Here we get something of a response from the earth. Just as the heavens, as we've just said, are to give praise to the Lord, so too the earth does likewise. This is, uh, this, this is a response. Notice that, <clears throat> that this is a response Uh, To what? The heavens. Uh, The earth responds to the praise given from the heavens. That is, praise begins with the heavens and then it echoes down to the earth. Heaven speaks first and then the earth speaks later. I'd like to point out this is one of the reasons why we worship how we do. God speaks to us. You could take a look in your bulletin. God speaks to us in his apostolic greeting. God speaks to us in the call to worship. And then what do we do? We speak back in prayer. We speak back in praise. God speaks to us in his word. And then what are we going to do? Very next thing, we're going to sing a hymn. We speak back to him. And then what is he going to do? He will speak to us in the benediction. And then what happens? We speak back to him in the hymn of response. We're taking our cues from this very passage right here. Our... Worship service begins grace and peace to you from God our Father, right? This is God's blessing as as we enter into his worship service. So the heavens declare, the earth responds. Heaven calls us, and then we respond very similar to what we're going 
what we're going through right here. Well, here you get a response, uh, the response of a summary of all the great powers of uh, earthly domain and activity right here. Praise from the sea creatures, praise from all deeps, the seas, uh, the oceans, uh, in the mind of the Old Testament, uh, they are a place of chaos. Uh, they, they are a place of, of uncertainty. Uh, the seas, the great deeps, the oceans are a place of topsy-turviness. The waves are always changing. And there's creatures underneath the ocean that, uh, that, that you don't know about. It's a place of wonder. Uh, the seas, the, 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 the great deeps. Uh, it, it's, it's a place of astonishment. And so the seas, what do they do? They usually take upon themselves a negative and mostly almost dangerous sort of overtone to them, a dangerous theme to them. But praises are to come even from the most dangerous of earthly domains, even the great sea creatures, and all the deeps are there in order to praise God and show us something of his power, something of his might, something of his ability to call into existence these great things. That is to say, no matter how great these sea creatures are, no matter uh, where they are, you can't even see them, no matter what they do, what they can do, <clears throat> no matter how great the deeps are, no matter uh, how, how, uh, how mysterious they are, they are as nothing to the one who has created them. They are as nothing to the one who inhabits eternity. The waters are dark and mysterious, and for that reason they carry about them a dark and mysterious overtone but these exist to show us something of the greatness of our God and his power in creation. Same can be said in the next verse, uh, verse 8. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. You can't tame these. These are the lower elements of, of, of creation. You can't tame these elements of nature. You could sort of predict them um, to the best of, uh, of, of your ability at, at some level, and, and even at some, some level, uh, sort of control them, I, I suppose. But no matter how dangerous they are, no matter how dangerous they are, they're as nothing to the one who has all power. They're as nothing to the one who has all power at his disposal to do his will. The earth and every one of its elements are there to the praise of God. Verse 9 Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things, flying birds, these are all there to the praise of God, the creator. He's created them, and it's by these things that he sustains the world's ecosystem in the entire world. He is to be praised because of the maintenance of the world order and the giving of these things. And then it jumps to something that in, in the next couple of verses it would catch the eye of any uh, ancient person uh, going around in this, uh, this world. If you take a look at verse 11, it would stand out very strongly to the people, the original recipients of verse 11. Take a look at this. Kings of, all, of the earth and all people, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, kings were gods or they were very closely associated with the gods that people worshipped. It wasn't uncommon for the kings in the ancient Near East to demand worship from their subjects, and it even wasn't uncommon for kings in the ancient Near East uh, to dictate which god that the people were supposed to be worshipping. So when this passage here lumps kings together with young men, maidens, old men, children, and it says that kings are supposed to render praise to God. It's saying that there is a basic distinction between God, who deserves all praise, 
And all people, indiscriminate of who they are, doesn't matter what their position is in the world, they don't deserve praise. They don't deserve, human, they don't deserve worship. They are humans. They are, they are a part of God's creation. In other words, kings are in the exact same category as everybody else, and they are all as equally accountable to God for the positions that they are in. So act accordingly. Can someone please tell this to the government one of these days when you get a chance? All kings and all uh, people who are in authority are likewise mere humans. They are not there to be worshipped. They are not infallible. They are not all-powerful like God is. They are a part of creation. Yes, and of course, endowed with the image of God, kings and everyone who is in authority are called upon to praise the one who created them and, and, and who we know because of Romans chapter 13, who even gives them the positions that they are in currently. And if God demands praise from the lips of kings, how much more does that mean that he demands praise from our own lips? So we've surveyed the things in the heavens that ought to give praise to God. We've surveyed the things on the earth that ought to give praise to God. From here, I'd like to move on to our last point this evening on why it is that the Lord receives praise. So the reason why the Lord receives praise, just why is it that the Lord ought to receive praise? Well, the answer actually is given... Uh, to us in a couple of passages in our, uh, in, our, in our psalm. The first one is to be found in the middle of verse 5. Take a look at verse 5. <clears throat> Regarding the things in the heavens, which, by the way, is no less applicable to the things on the earth. For he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Firstly, he is to receive praise because he owns everything. He owns absolutely everything. He's the creator of everything. He owns everything. He's, he's the sole proprietor of everything that you see in all creation. In fact, it's speaking directly about the things in the heavens. Uh, heaven belongs to God. Heaven belongs to God. The things in the heaven belongs to God, which means that the things in the heavens are among the created order. In other words, it tells us not to put our faith in our guardian angels. It tells us not to, to uh, trust or wish upon a lucky star or anything like that because why they are created, they belong to God. That's why. They belong to him, and they always have. A few of us were in a sermon discussion uh, group just yesterday and uh, came time to pay the bill, and everybody uh, got out our money to pay, and then someone else grabbed the tab for us. And you know what we said to him? Every single person at the table there said to him, Thank you, because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed. Uh, because the moment that this person, who will go unnamed, uh, but the moment that this person decided that uh, that he's going to um, uh, pay for all his food, all that food became his immediately. And the subtext of it was that everything there belonged to him now, and he freely gave it to us. And so the proper response is, "Thank you." Is thanks. Very similar with. God, um, right, uh, right here with, uh, with all of creation. He owns everything. He owns everything. Uh, he didn't have to pay anybody for it. Uh, that's the big point of departure, I suppose. But he owns everything. He's created everything. Uh, and he lets us enjoy it. So what are we supposed to say? We're supposed to say thank you. We're supposed to give him praise. 
And what's more, he upholds it all by his eternal decree so that it shall not pass away. And if we really get into the nitty-gritties of it, um, we will enjoy it sinlessly. And we will enjoy it sinlessly forever. Now, if that's not something to give praise for, I, I, I don't know what can convince uh, the hearer of this sermon. He's created everything. He owns everything. He allows us to enjoy his creation, so we give him praise. He sustains everything by his eternal decree so that we can know about creation. We can even make remarkable, sometimes just astounding and unbelievable scientific discoveries of his creation. Why? Because he's established a decree about his creation. It will last forever and ever, that decree that, decree that shall not pass away. He's decreed his decree is the very foundation of our ability to do science at all. And so what are we supposed to say to him? Thank you. He deserves praise because he owns everything. Secondly, why are we supposed to give him praise? Well, what's the reason why the Lord receives praise? Take a look at verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted and his majesty is above earth. In heaven. It's saying that God is to be praised. Why? Because he is superior. God is to be praised because he's the greatest. Uh, he's the mightiest. He is, uh, he, he, he is the most majestic. He is the most glorious. It's to say something not just of what he has done, right, but something of who he is. If I were to ask you, brother, sister, why do I have to look up in order to watch an airplane passing by? You would probably say something like, well, because it's, it's, it, it's flying at 30,000 feet. That's why you have to look up to uh, watch this, uh, this plane. Very similar when we think of this. Similarly, why should we praise God? Why, why is it? Well, because he's worthy of it, just by very nature of, of who he is and his position relative to all of creation, because he is worthy of it. That's why he's the only one worthy of it. His is the only name that is exalted. He has majesty that transcends all of creation, even the heavens themselves. We're to give praise because he is worthy of it. Thirdly, we're supposed to give him praise for the reasons that are explained in that very verse. Take a look at, with me at verse 14. When it says, he has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all of his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. In the Bible and the literature of the ancient Near East, you might ask yourself, uh, what is up with this horn there that he has uh, raised up or something like, uh, like that? To have a horn uh, that's lifted up, a horn is a symbol of power in the ancient world. And to have a horn that is lifted up is... It means that you're in a position of power relative to your enemy or or relative to what you would otherwise be in. He has raised up a horn for his people. And really, we can make this New Testament jump, this application. What greater uh, display, what greater deliverance of his power has God given than his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, He is the very horn that was lifted up for his people so that all of his saints can praise him. There is no greater deliverance of God's power than what he gives us in Christ. Uh, by the way, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 calls Jesus the wisdom from God and the power of God. He is the one who was raised up for us on the cross. 
He's the one who was raised for us in his resurrection. He's the one who has been raised in his ascension into heaven. Even now, First uh, Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, we are being kept, how? By his power, uh, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, his power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, Second Peter 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Even though we are sown in weakness, we will be raised, how? In power. We will be raised in power in our own resurrection. The power of God that's given in the gospel of Christ is the very reason for the Lord to receive praise. The psalm ends this way because it's not enough for us to know God merely as our creator. That's not enough. It's not enough to know God merely as our creator. We must know him as our creator and redeemer in Christ. That is why he is to be praised. We've seen tonight that all creation, whether it's animate or inanimate, is designed to give praise to God because of who he is and what he has done. I'll leave us with just a couple of applications as we close. Firstly, we are to praise God because of his creation. We're to praise God for his creation. Uh, Recently, I was sharing the gospel with uh, an engineer uh, who was an atheist, and I think he thought that uh, by listing out a bunch of scientific discoveries and uh, abilities that we can do in science would kind of intimidate me. He was trying to draw the distinction between faith and science and things like, uh, like that. Uh, But what I told him was that the reason why we're able to do science at all, including why science is important to do uh, at all, is because of God's power and God's providence. Uh, He told to me these scientific discoveries and abilities nowadays, and you know what I said? Wow, praise God! He's like, no, that's not what you're supposed to do, <laughs> like, uh, like, like that. We are to learn how to look at all creation. We're to, look at, uh, we're to learn how to look at all creation, know how to praise God for his creation, praise him for creation's norms. And we're supposed to look at God, know how he maintains creation, and so that we can know how to treat creation the way that he wants us to treat it. So the more you look at creation and use it to testify to the goodness of God, the more you will love God for everything that he's created. We're to praise God for his creation. Secondly, we're to praise God for his new creation. We're to praise God for his new creation. Uh, The praise of God for creation is meant to lead us to the praise of God for his new creation. Uh, This is what is going to be on our lips uh, in all eternity the praise of God for his new creation in Christ. Uh, Already, right now, uh, in this very worship service, our praise to our creator and our redeemer has begun. Creation is meant to point us to his new creation where he takes out our heart of stone, he replaces it with a heart of flesh, he takes our old self out, our, our old self who used to hate him, and he changes that to now a person who loves him, and he, he's, he's given us a new set of priorities, uh, literally a set of priorities that will be with us into all eternity. This is part of the reason why, brothers and sisters, it's vitally important that you be at church. This is part of the reason why church attendance is such an important thing. What we're doing Sunday by Sunday is practicing what we will do in eternity. That's what we're doing right here and right now. This is practice for the actual event. What we're going to be doing in all eternity 
is to join with all creation in praise to the glory of the one who's created us, who has sustained us, who saved us, and who protected us. He's, lead, he's led us from the moment of birth, and he will lead us to the very end of our days and beyond. We're to praise God for his new creation that he's given to us in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank